welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. It's good to see you all, and I hope to see you all downstairs after the service for some amazing tacos. And yes, it's just a $5 donation to help us out, but some of you may feel led to contribute a little bit more than that as we hit that goal of $15,000. So don't be, as you eat tacos, think of a home, a home for families, and may that uh, inspire you. Now, we're going to be in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. If you want to open your Bible or grab one there in front of you, I'm going to actually talk about the entire section. Uh, and man, we could have an incredible series. I could do a 10-week series just on these two verses. I'm going to do as best as I can to give about six different highlights uh, from these two verses in this section. And what I want to do, give you a little bit of a background as I highlight these six observations. The first is that our obedience is a response. See, Paul is writing to Christians in Rome, both Jews and Gentiles, and explaining how through Jesus the Son, God has rescued not only Israel, but all the nations, that through Jesus, who is Jewish, all the world can have hope. And so in Romans 12:1, Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Now, that word mercy, even though it looks in the singular, it actually is plural for you note takers. That means that Paul has in view the multiple mercies of God. And in Romans 12, 1, and it's because of that, he says, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So what Paul does there is he makes an allusion to temple worship. I know we don't come into church and expect anything with animals to be involved, but back in that day, there were actually sacrifices being made in the temple as part of worship. And so Paul makes this illusion that his listeners would have been familiar with. He's stretching the metaphor by using an oxymoron. How many people here know what an oxymoron is? Okay, so a few of you, right, jumbo shrimp. And for those of you who've been with me a couple years here, short sermons. That's an oxymoron, right, short sermons. Uh, here, living sacrifice. An alive, dead thing. <laughs> A living sacrifice. He's trying to stir the imagination of the hearers. And Paul's words are meant to do this because he wants them to think about all of God's multiple mercies, which should lead them to joyful service, as we'll hear later, as a unified body of Christ, just like Siska prayed. That together, we put away our divisions and we center around, not politics, and we center around, not policies, but the person of Jesus. That we're so captivated with the view of him and his goodness that it leads us to a unified life of living sacrificially for him. Now, God isn't looking for a sacrificial animal in the temple anymore, but he is looking for a dedicated life that is touching the world through oneness as the body of Christ. And so last Sunday, just to remind you, we talked about Abraham, the father of the Jews, and how he was blessed to be a blessing. 
And in that text last week, we read Genesis 12, and there was a prophecy that through Abraham, somehow miraculously, this childless old man, that the world would be blessed. And what Romans is saying through the words of Paul is that, and that person is Jesus. The prophecy is true. That out of the lineage of Abraham in Genesis 12, Jesus truly is a son of Abraham who is bringing salvation to the world. And those who follow Jesus now are the true children of Abraham. And how so? We are the true children of Abraham by loving Jesus and living like him. Loving him and living like him. And we'll see that Jesus is the ultimate living sacrifice. Those who are grateful for God's multiple mercies are the ones who can say we are truly children of Abraham, that we are blessed to be a blessing. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases Romans 12, verse 1. He says, here's what I want you to do, God helping you, to take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and, and place it before God as an offering, And I might add, take your art and take your hobbies and and take your interests and take your your sports and, and take your job and lay it all at the altar of the Lord and say, it's all yours. I'm going to give you a little hint. It all belongs to him anyway. It doesn't belong to you. Your business, your family, your home, your resume, anything good in that already belongs to him. You just need to decide today if you're going to let him take the lead in your life. Living sacrifices, blessed to be a blessing. You see, in this sense, there's no aspect of a believer's life that does not belong to God. See, naturally, living sacrifices are directed outward like Jesus to be used as God directs. You see, when believers have experienced God's mercy in their own lives, not just his singular mercy, but his multiple mercies, then they're more inclined to want to help. They want to serve. They want to bless others. Serving others comes naturally for those who have seen and experienced the mercies of God. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever experienced the mercy, the kindness of God? Think about it. Because if you have, that should naturally turn your heart and mind to say, I'm going to live for him every day of my life. And some of you could say, yes, I have. It was years ago. And I guess I want to ask you, how have you experienced the mercies of God this week? Because if you're not experiencing the renewing mercies of God in your life as a Christian, serving is going to be tiring. <laughs> Helping others is going to be a drag. Or blessing others is going to be more about you than it is about him. If you're not experiencing the mercies of God regularly in your life, through his word, through, through experiencing it through others, speaking God's word to you, and re- recognizing God's presence as you walk in beautiful nature, if you're not experiencing the renewing mercies of God, serving God's going to be a drag. And it's meant to be life-giving. It's meant to even be fun, exciting, and good. So when's the last time you've experienced 
the multiple mercies of God, even as a Christian. If it's been a while, take some time this week and just sit with the Lord and say, Lord, help me experience your multiple mercies as I think about you, as I sit still before you. Yes, maybe even as I serve, but even as I rest. Maybe some of you aren't experiencing the multiple mercies of God because you're not resting well. God could be asking you to rest before you serve. It's supposed to come naturally as we work for him. Secondly, Paul is saying there's only a logical response. There's only a logical response. Romans 12:1. Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your logikos worship. And so the word Paul uses literally means your logical service of worship. It's also related to another biblical word that John, the gospel writer and disciple of Jesus, uses in John chapter 1, and he says this about Jesus. He calls him the Logos. And thus, the only logical response for Paul is for believers' whole lives to be given over to the Logos, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, because this, life only makes sense if you give your whole life to center around King Jesus. To center your mind around the reality that no other religion, no other philosophy, no supplement, no technology, no, no hobby, no other distraction, no other pleasure is ever going to fill your soul. No relationship has the ability to meet your needs except Jesus. And you might think, if only if I had that, Pastor Tim. If only. If only if I can get rid of that pain. If only I could stop that bad habit. If only, well, then you would see a better version of me. That might be partly true. But the reality is there's no one else except the Logos, Jesus, the center of your life, pouring into you, that has the ability to fill that soul of yours that is seeking something to help you. It's Jesus it's the only logical response. The only logikos is to put your faith in the logos. And you see, Pastor S.M. Lockridge said this about Jesus, the logos, that we should be centering our lives around, that Jesus, the logos, he's the key to knowledge, and he's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his light is matchless, his goodness is limitless, his mercy is everlasting, his goodness is limitless, his love never changes, his word is enough, his grace is sufficient, his reign is righteous, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you because, yes, he's indescribable, he's incomprehensible, he's invincible, he's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind and you can't get him out of your head. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. That's your Jesus, your Logos. Do you know him? Have you experienced his multiple mercies recently? Because if you haven't, life is a drag. And he doesn't want that for you. 
So I ask you, have you made the logical step to yield your life to the one who gave you life in the first place? He's the one whom you'll be meeting at the end of your life as well. And so the most logical thing is to follow Jesus now, confessing your sins, that you tried to live life on your own, that you've tried this supplement and this religion. I tried that relationship and I tried to have the perfect family. I tried to get my body in shape, but my body isn't doing what I want it to do. And I try to get better at work and get people to like me or get that person to forgive me. Or I try to get to forgive that person and nothing of it is gonna work because you know why? You need the logos to be the power to do anything good that lasts. The most logical thing is to say yes. And for you who are already Christians, the most logical thing for you is for your time and your talents and your treasures to be fully in the hands of Jesus. Because guess whom they belong to already? Stop hoarding the things that God has given to you. Trust him, put him in his hands your resources, your relationships, your body, your mind, your will, your hobbies, your passions, your pleasures, give them back to him and see what he will do when you place yourself in his hands. It all belongs to him. Thirdly, our lives do not belong to ourselves. That's what Romans 12, 2 says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, a living sacrifice is a countercultural way of thinking that coincides with a countercultural way of living. It's thinking and living differently. And when we come to church looking for information and inspiration, what we really need, what really makes a difference is transformation, this metamorphosis that comes from renewing of the mind. It's a new way of thinking that we need to pray, Holy Spirit, help me to wake up each morning with a new way of thinking. Romans 7, 4, Paul says this. He says, now you belong to him in order that you might be useful in the service of God. It's a new way of thinking, right? New way of thinking to wake up and say, God, it all belongs to you. Use my small little life to do one act of great love in your name today. No matter how small or big it is, Lord, use me. I'm your ambassador. Lord, use me as a conduit of blessing Lord, as I rest in you and receive your multiple mercies today, would you overflow just in my presence, just listening to a friend's problems, would you reveal your goodness? Because Paul says you belong to him in order that you might be useful in the service of God. Lord, use me today. I want to be a blessing to others. Now, listen, you aren't save because you serve. All of these kids right now, they're downstairs making tacos. And I promise you, they don't get like a better parking spot in heaven because they're making tacos right now, okay? They may have been bribed or something like that, but no, there's no, no extra things you get by serving, right? You don't serve in order to get saved. You don't serve in order to prove to God that you're a good person. None of that ever works. But saved people naturally serve people. It's in our DNA. 
And so we wake up each morning with that mindset that my life is not my own. I am redeemed for a reason. I am saved to serve. Lord, use me. Some small act of your great love today, whether in speech or in email or just being present or baking cookies or writing a contract or doing accounting, whatever it is, Lord, use me to point to you. See, we must live each day with this new mindset that our lives do not really belong to ourselves because they don't. None of us know what our last day on earth will be. Jesus is the one who calls you. In fact, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Bear fruit to impress God? No. Because the good news, you can never do anything impressive enough to earn favor with God. You can never earn your way into heaven. God chose you, and because he chose you and has blessed you with multiple mercies, the natural response is to live for him as we realize our lives do not belong to ourselves. Dave Eubanks is an acquaintance of mine. This is a picture of him. I believe this picture is when he was in Iraq and in Mosul. It was under attack. This innocent child was surrounded by sniper fire. And he, as a former army ranger and a follower of Christ, enters into war-torn areas around the world, knowing that he might die or get shot or be captured to show the love of Christ. And he's in Afghanistan right now, saving innocent people because he knows he's a living sacrifice. His life does not belong to himself. You know, part of his mindset and every time he goes on a mission is as a living sacrifice to Christ. But listen to what he says. He says, surrendering is saying yes saying yes to all the good things that God wants for you. I think this is amazing. Dave goes into worn, torn areas with bullets and grenades and mortars being shot at him. And he says that this act of surrender for him is a joy. That he's, he experienced goodness. He gets blessed by laying down his life. So let me ask you, have you ever experienced, by following Jesus and making a sacrifice in this life, have you experienced the blessedness of it? I hope you have, but even if you haven't, God promises that he does take notice, that there's going to be some people in heaven because of some small act of kindness done in the name of Jesus, some faithful thing that you've done today, this week, that there will be people in the kingdom of heaven forever because of you. Being faithful this week, what might that be? See, so often we think of surrendering as giving something up, and that's true, but Dave sees it as an opportunity for joy. Do you? See, surrendering to Christ is an opportunity for good and more in your life. I think of all the brave parents who chose not to abort their Down syndrome fetus. They knew there was going to be a lot of needs. Think of all those brave parents, and I'm telling you, talk to any one of them. Yes, it's hard. Oh, but the joy, oh, the joy they get from parenting and loving these special children who become special adults. I bet you know some of these people, don't you? Oh, the joy of making a sacrifice 
for Jesus. How willing would we be to loosen our grip and let go if we realized that saying no to ourselves was really saying a yes to God's best? Yes, it might be hard. Yes, that relationship is difficult. Yes, your job is a challenge. Yes, sharing your faith in practical ways is scary. But what if you knew by letting go that God wants to place something beautiful and good and better in your hands? What if you took that risk this week? See, a renewed mindset embraces that we have one short life to live, and that life does not even belong to ourselves in the first place. See, fourthly, Paul wants you to change your mindset about your purpose. Verses 5 through 8 says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith and in service in our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. See, some commentators and scholars see seven specific possible motivations that God assigns each believer in, sixes, in verses 6 through 8. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting or encouraging, generosity, leadership, and mercy. Now, I don't think this is an exhaustive list of all the possible God-given motivations, or even the Bible has listed every possible God-given gift or God-given resource or God-given vision, okay? But I think it is an example of how God might have wired you for service, wired you for bearing fruit, You see, each disciple, every living sacrifice is wired to participate in the mission of God in unique ways because you are the body of Christ collectively. But each one of you plays a special, unique role right here where we live in 2021. God wants to use you no matter what age you are, no matter what ethnic background you are, no matter what languages you speak, no matter your education level, no matter how long you've been a Christian, God has a plan for you to use you in a special way, specially crafted to perform a function, gifted with motivation, gifted with skills, and a special assignment because we are saved to serve. Now, we aren't saved because we serve, but as grateful disciples, we use our various gifts and resources and assets and treasures and time for God's glory. And I'm telling you, it can be fun. Just the other day, I was at a church member's house, and this church member's from Korea. They served me a wonderful meal. That was one gift I received from this very gifted person. And her husband... I didn't know, is a master ancient Chinese calligraphist. In fact, I was at UCLA at the same time. He was uh, doing a guest lecture on ancient Chinese freehand calligraphy. Now, I asked him to translate. I don't remember exactly what it says. I think he gave it to me because this handsome pastor. I think that was the translation. Not quite sure. But I never would have known that particular gift within him until I spent time with them. I'm not sure how God will use this for his glory, but I'm telling you, this faithful man of God has been gifted in certain ways. He's got drives and motivations and passions, and I'm praying 
Uh, God has used us in the past that he would use his gift of art and his heart for the Lord for him anew. So when I look at it, you, I realize, I bet there's a lot I don't know about you. But God has gifted you. He's resourced you. You have certain motivations. You have certain hobbies, things that you love doing, things that you're good at, needs that you love to meet. It could be not just a job. It could just be something wired within you. I wonder what it is. I wonder what unique thing God has placed in you, what special thing that he has shaped you for, even if you're retired or even if you're just 13 years old listening to me today, God has wired you for a purpose. I wonder what amazing thing he's going to do in your life. I never thought God would use me. And he's done some cool things as I've yielded my life to him. And I'm telling you, the Bible is saying every one of you is shaped to serve. Every one of you is saved to serve. Every one of you has the ability to join God on his mission to do some good now, not just in the past and not just in the future, but now. God can use you as part of his plan. You might say, but Tim, God can't use me. But I'm telling you, even if you're old like Abraham, God can use you. Even if you're insecure like Jacob, or unattractive like Lear, or abused like Joseph, or physically defective like Moses, God can use you. Even if you're poor like Gideon, or, or you're abused like Joseph, or if you're codependent like Salmon, or immoral like Rahab, or David, or suicidal like Elijah, or depressed like Jeremiah, or reluctant like Jonah, or widowed like Naomi, or eccentric like John the Baptist, or hot-tempered like Peter, or a warrior like Martha, or unpopular like Zacchaeus, or a doubter like Thomas, or in poor health like Paul, or timid like Timothy, or even dead like Christ, because of the logos in your life, and because of his multiple mercies, God can and will use you. Are you yielded to him? Or are you distracted by other pleasures in this life? telling you, if you just center yourself on that, if you can just get that, then you'll be happy. Or I'll get my act straightened up first before I serve the Lord. I got to clean myself up. Are you listening to that? Well, that's not the right mindset. You are gifted now in Christ to serve him and God will use you. God's got a plan to use you in the season right now. Do you know what it is? Because if you don't, that's worth investigating. God, how do you want to use me now? to point people to you. Fifthly, there's a pivotal point of this word, therefore. Romans 12, one, therefore. So the first thing you learn in seminary when you see the word therefore in the Bible is to ask yourself, why is the therefore, what's it there for? It's a hook, it's a pivot. See, Romans 12, 1 to 2 is the pivot point for the book. And the therefore is not only a link to the preceding verses in chapter 11, but it's referring to God's multiple mercies in the whole section where Paul explains the full power of the gospel. How so? His mercies of salvation, his mercies of enduring presence with you, his mercies of promising to return for you. Are you starting to get it, friends? The multiple mercies of God is a pivot point for you to say, therefore, I'll give it all to you, Jesus. Maybe today is a pivot point to you. 
Maybe today that word therefore is your pivot point to say I'm going all in. I've been a Christian a long time, but I have not been all in. I've been holding back. I've been treating my resources as my own. I've been treating my life as if I belong to myself. Maybe today's your pivot point. In the summer of 2020-21, an acquaintance of mine, his name is Jeff Sandifer. He's a philanthropist and an education expert. He was in a near-fatal paragliding accident in Aspen, Colorado. Jeff miraculously survived, and he's been rapidly recovering at home. And in this video, his friend Ed Perry, a dear friend of Jeff's, and also someone who's faced near death this past year, he interviews him, talks about his experience. And let me tell you, Jeff should be dead. It's paragliding, shoot, there was a malfunction, he fell hundreds of feet, one in a million chance of survival. He's not paralyzed, he's walking. Unbelievable. I want you to watch this video to hear some of Jeff's reflections on the second chance at life. What was going through your head laying there? Well, it, it's one of many blessings from this happening, and that sounds strange to say, but I think this whole tale is gonna be one of blessings and of gratitude. Um, I laid there. Um, I knew I'd shattered my back. Oh. Um, I, I knew I'd landed on my tailbone, and I knew I felt it crack. I thought I probably had internal injuries, and I um, knew it would be several hours before I could be off the mountain. So if I had in, internal injuries uh, with a fall like that, I almost certainly would. Um, I knew I wouldn't survive. And so the first thing that went through my mind, I never would have thought this, was it's been such a terrific life. Gosh, I've had a great life. Mm -hmm. And then immediately after that, and again, I wouldn't have thought of this either. I thought, and I'm gonna see Jesus and I'm gonna see God next. And I just can't imagine what that's gonna be like. And then the most incredible blanket of peacefulness, that's the only way I can describe it, just came over me. I mean, I didn't feel pain, I didn't feel, I just felt complete calm. And, um, you know, I, I think of that verse in the beginning of the Gospels where the, the dove lands on Jesus' shoulder and the voice says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. It was that kind of feeling of just a dove or something coming down. And, you know, one of the many blessings of this is, I think I now know what happens when you face death. At least I know what happened when I faced death this time. And it was just a feeling of peace. And when I see Jeff in a couple months, I'm going to ask him, what are you learning from the Lord? What are you learning about your life and how you want to spend your life? Because I want to ask you, do you know God's peace? That literally, if you face death today, you would know his peace. Because if you haven't said yes to the logos, today is the day. And if you've been a Christian for a long time and you don't have that peace, that means you are failing to understand the multiple mercies of God being offered to you. And we want you to have that peace that your life is aligned rightly around the God of the universe. That you would know if you died today, you'd be welcomed home by Jesus the Logos. And he'd be smiling at you. 
saying, child, welcome home. Do you have the peace as a Christian that you've lived your life well? Not saying perfect, only God is perfect, but lived it well, yielded to God as a living sacrifice in all of the things of your life. Yes, even your hobbies, not just your missionary work, not just your church stuff, your entire life belongs to him. Both Jeff and his friend Ed have literally faced death in the past 12 months. And for both of them, it has given them incredible clarity about how to logically spend the rest of their days on earth. Because when you know with certainty that one day you're going to see Jesus, it helps you today to show Jesus. When you live with a new mindset and the hope we have that one day Jesus will return and make all things new, as that gets in your mind, that we know then until that day, my job, my one job is to keep pointing to Jesus, to give people a preview of the goodness and the beauty and the healing and the peace and the love that Jesus will bring in full one day. That's your job. And it's fun and it's hard, but it's a joy. God, use me today. What small act of your great love could point people to you we get to give a preview to the world of the good God who will come in full as we share the gospel, as we feed the hungry, as we make sacrifices so that lost people would say yes to Christ. You're not here by accident, friend. There's a whole city and community out here who does not know Jesus. God has placed you here in this town and this year to point people to him. Are you ready to say yes? To say, God, whatever that call is, show me what it is. Would you join God on this mission using your gifts and your resources and to seek opportunities to give a glimpse of God's goodness to our community? You're a part of God's plan. You know, Jeff shared in a different part of the interview that he has surveyed hundreds of people over the course of his life and asking people who are under 40, asking people who are between 40 and 60, and then asking people over 60 about their experiences in life and clarity about the purpose of life. And he says these surveys have revealed this truth, that as you get closer to the end of your life, you tend to focus on three questions. Here's the first one. Did I contribute something meaningful in my life? Secondly, was I a good person? Thirdly, who did I love and who loved me? As you get older, all of your focus will start revolving around love, meaning, and purpose. So let me ask you, if those are the important questions at the end of our life, shouldn't we be asking those same questions now? Aren't those same questions just as important right now? You see, we started this intentional living series talking about the 7-11 principle and how Jeremiah 11, 29 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But we often forget verse 7, which says, Don't forget, seek the peace and prosperity of the city in which you live, for if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so the 7-11 principle reminds us that we get the blessings of verse 11 as we focus on being the blessing in verse 7. And then we're reminded uh, also that we are to be people that who are be blessed to be a blessing from Genesis 12. 
And then in the Paul says that we are also in Ephesians 2.10, a poema with a purpose, that you are a handiwork, a God's tool in his hand. And today we learn that we are saved to serve. So our whole lives is a joyful response to God's multiple mercies in our lives. As we continue to worship the Lord right now in song, let's keep offering ourselves as that living sacrifice, joyful servants of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we don't know exactly what you want for us today, but we want to be living sacrifices, offering up our whole lives to you. So, Lord, as we sing, Lord, as we pray, as we work, and even as we play, Lord, this week we want to offer everything to you. Show us what it means to have you at the center of our lives. Show us how you've wired us for a purpose in this community this week to point people to your goodness. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.